At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, November 29th, 2022 edition. I hope all of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know mine was, my weekend was very relaxing, very needed, and I'm ready, raring to go for Christmas coming up and New Year's soon after. And a new year often means new trends, and in today's market and economy, uh, it is the continuation of a new era. And you know, this is an era oh, you know, with, with cheap money that was defined by a few things. Price was more important than value. Hype was more sought after than substance. And financial engineering was the name of the game over things like cash flow. And you can see that in today's headlines of kind of those those pillars of a bygone age. It really is. It's a bygone age of cheap money and ultra low interest rates and ultra low, ultra high liquidity. You know, see the downfall of DeFi. You saw another one today. Uh, crypto lender BlockFi, BlockFi filed for bankruptcy. And, you know, the whole DeFi space in general, all the different tokens and things like that, the, the true value and economic, the economic value, I guess you could say, uh, was looked over. And it was about the price, price going up. What prices is Bitcoin going up? Is Ethereum going up? What is going up in price? How often did you hear, what is this solving? And what new mechanism is being created to solve for a particular issue? Right, the promise of all of these different entities that were created on the blockchain was that this is something new. And all they said was it's on the blockchain. So it, it's innovative. No, the vast majority of it did not create any value to the average user. Unless you bet on the right one and the price went up. Even in 
interviews with Sam Bankman Freed months ago, he kind of admitted that this is all a Ponzi scheme, yield farming. He didn't say it in those simple words, but he basically described the Ponzi scheme. And that brings me to number two, which is the hype. Whether that is saying Bankman Freed and being the next JP Morgan, or it's online social media personalities like Andrew Tate or um, Logan Paul or his brother. You know, in that world, it's all about who's the loudest, not necessarily who's giving real substance, who's actually providing value to their followers, to their fans. It's really all about who can get the most attention today. Because guess what? Even if you what you said was not necessarily true, eh. you say something louder the next day and they're going to forget the old thing. Right? That's very common in today's world. But we're starting to enter a period where you know, substance matters. Are you bringing real value to your customers, to your followers? Or is it just a bunch of hype? And then financial engineering, that was a big part of the low interest rate world. And Private equity, I don't think, uh, encompasses that more than, than, than the boom in private equity. Private equity is just financial engineering for 99.9%. Very few private equity firms are really truly bringing value. They're just running numbers, a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of math, and creating leverage because money's cheap. And the buyback tax that was recently passed is kind of that first salvo towards punishing those that are just financial engineering. That's what buybacks in a lot of ways, especially if buybacks are not financed with cash flow, financial engineering, and that has became very popular. And so in today's world, when interest rates are going up, the cost of debt, the cost of equity are going higher. Having a business that produces cash flow to reinvest in your business, to reshore your manufacturing, to pay down any debt that you might have, that is more important. And so, in you know, as we transition into 2023 over the next uh, call it five weeks, don't just think about the new new year, but also this new era. Now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm here, I'm ready to answer your finance and investment questions on this radio show and podcast. As always, the number is 888-99-CHART. You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or you can listen live during our, during our 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific time live stream every single day. And you can talk to me uh, in the flesh. Now, I've got a lot of material for you today. Of course, uh, we're going to touch on the SEC striking again on 12B1 fees. You know, 12B1 fees is something that I've been very familiar with uh, because they've been around since uh, I started my career. 
Uh, they're kind of passe, but they're still around. And most of you probably don't know what they are. Uh, but if you have any mutual fund holdings in any sense, you probably want to know about this. And we're going to look at uh, how the SEC is finding an RIA, Registered Investment Advisor, out of Florida. Now, time permitting, I'll dig into some other topics as well. We're going to look at the private equity industry and what are called CFOs, not Chief Financial Officers, but a more complex version of collateralized debt obligations from the financial crisis. These are called collateral fund obligations. So we're going to look at the details there and where the risk might be. Also, the tech sell-off in the public markets is starting to hit the private market as well. So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, the yield curve inversion. What is it telling us about the economy and future Fed policy? Also have some voice bank questions ready to play. One is on Coterra Energy as well as the market in 401ks. So I've got this all planned for you on this episode of Invest Talk. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. I can talk about whatever is on my mind all day long. I could do probably three hours just talking about all of this stuff. But most importantly, it's what is on your mind. So you can call now at 888-989-CHART. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had a nice up day. You had the S&P that was down. Actually, S&P was down six points. But overall, the NYSE, that was up 63 points. And really, the strength was in the Russell. If you look at uh, mid caps, that was up 0.3%. Small caps were up 0.31%. Uh, the worst part of the market, large cap growth. You had uh, the likes of Tesla, Amazon, and Apple all down today. Uh, and so that was really where the weakness was with rates up just a tad. And obviously, the unrest in China uh, hurting those names that have a lot of their business and manufacturing base uh, over there in, in, in China. And if that becomes a bigger problem, you have more social unrest over there, you know, that is going to hit those names. And I think that was really the, uh, the, the risk off there. And that's why uh, I've been saying small cap over large cap. Large cap's done very well kind of arbitraging the labor costs of the U.S. versus places like China. And as we reshore manufacturing, the companies that are going to benefit the most, guess what? They're not large caps. They're small caps that are mostly domestically uh, focused. So uh, this is a kind of a day where you reflect on that shift that we're having in the global economy, both uh, you know when it comes to uh, business as well as geopolitics. Now it's an Invest Talk Tuesday. At this point, we all realize the markets are changing and you must have finance and investment questions that you need answers. So give Invest Talk a call at 888 chart One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hey, how's it going? This is Eric from San Diego. Just had a quick question on Buckle Inc. 
I'm up about 61% since I bought it earlier in the year and was just curious on your thoughts on if it had more room to grow or if I should start taking on some profits. Um, looking forward to your answer. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. All right. Looking at Buckle, B-K-E is the symbol. And this is one of those under the radar retail names, only about a $2.2 billion market cap. And we actually own this for our clients in our covered call strategy, Equity Income Plus. Uh, and we like it for a few reasons. And number one is that they have very minimal debt. They have no long-term debt, zero long-term debt. We love that. We love that. And what they do is they, a lot of times they pay a special dividend at the end of the year, just kind of depending on their, their business prospects and their business prospects have been, you know, pretty good lately. Uh, earnings in 2021 are only 266, but $5 and 16 cents last year and expected about $5 in 2023. Uh, and then another $5 in 2024 yields 3.1%. Uh, growth has slowed. Earnings growth has slowed, but it's been relatively steady. And you look long term, the return equity right now is 62%, which is definitely higher than uh, we expect them to earn long term. But their longer term average is about 35%. That is very, very strong, especially with low leverage. No leverage. No debt. So a lot of times uh, return equity can be skewed by companies that have very thin margins, but they have a lot of debt. And then suddenly those margins go negative in a recession and now they can't carry that debt and their return equity swings wildly. That's not the case here. You just have very, very, you have no debt and you have return on assets at 29%. Uh, so it's very profitable, very strong cash flow, consistent, well run, trading at enterprise value to EBITDA five and a half. I mean, this is just it's one of our favorite names in the retail space. Uh, just so incredibly well run. Uh, so I'm going to be buckle a thumbs up. We're not looking to trim it. We're, we're just rolling out and up on our, on our options uh, consistently and collect that nice 3.1%. So I'm going to give buckle a thumbs up. Keep on holding it. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give InvestSoc a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my main focus point today concerns the headline, the SEC strikes again on 12B1 fees, finding another RIA. RIA is Registered Investment Advisor. And this one is out of Florida. And there's a couple of good lessons uh, to be learned from this. This is a fine on Aventura Capital Management. And basically, they had two arms. One is a broker-dealer, the Aventura Securities LLC. And then Aventura Capital Management is an RAA. And this is, this is something important if you're ever working with a, an advisor uh, is, are you duly registered or are you solely a registered investment advisor? There are some that 
our brokers as well as RAAs. And you never know which hat they're wearing. And their duty to you differs depending on which hat they are wearing. Sometimes, you know, there's conflicts with the commission structure of a broker, whereas the RAA, there isn't, right? Because it's typically a uh, pretty straight fee-based and it's all about uh, good, good, good outcomes. And, you know, that's how we are set up. We're an, we're an RAA, but we are not a broker. So uh, we don't collect any commissions. So that's one lesson here is that make sure if you're ever dealing with an advisor that they're only an RAA, that they have no direct affiliation with a broker. We use TD Ameritrade, but we're uh, assets are just held there. We don't collect any commissions or anything like that. Okay, so that's number one. Now, it's, what is a 12B1 fee? This is has been very common a long time ago in the mutual fund space. It's still around, where basically you have a you have a broker that puts client assets in a mutual fund. And the mutual fund charges a fee. Every mutual fund charges some level of fee. Maybe it's a few basis points, maybe it's 200 basis points, you know, 2% 2, 2 plus. And the 12B1 fee is basically a kickback to the advisor. Typically, it's about 25 basis points per year. So what I see, I see this a lot, uh, I'm not gonna say the name of the broker, but I'll give you the initials, EJ, EJ. You probably know that based on, you know, what broker I'm talking about. I see this most common where they're in a, some sort of a, an A share mutual fund, which you should never buy, right? A loaded mutual fund or a C share, which is load on the back end, A share and C share. Never buy those. You don't need to pay a load. You should not never pay a load on a mutual fund. Okay. That's number one. So if you have an advisor that's putting you in a loaded mutual fund, an A share or a C share, run. Okay. And then uh, a lot of times what happens is on top of getting that upfront 5% load that they receive by putting their client into this mutual fund. They're also getting 0.25% every single year without doing anything. They're not managing the assets, the mutual fund company is. So they're just putting it in, they're collecting their check, their kickback from uh, the mutual fund company. And this happens a lot at big banks, it happens a lot at EJ, just say that. Um, and, you know, Aventura Capital is just, one of those. Now they're fined in total roughly $2 million. Now they're based out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. There's a lot of scams that come out of Florida. So it doesn't shock me. But basically what happened is Aventura purchased, recommended, or held for Aventura Capital's advisory clients, mutual fund shares class classes that paid 12B1 fees pursuant instead of available lower cost shares of the same fund. So that's really the big issue here is that their advisors are putting them in these funds that have higher fees just so they get their 12B1 fee when they could be putting them in a lower fee class saying it's exact same fund, exact same holdings. It's just a, it's just a different share class, but the advisor is not getting a kickback. And so the returns are higher for the investor, but you know, the advisor doesn't get that kickback. So that's basically what they were doing. They were also doing this on money market funds as well. They're also marking up and marking down um, certain trades without disclosing clients, basically making a spread on certain transactions without disclosing it to clients. And this happened between 2015 and 2022. And they did not disclose any of this on their ADV or anything like that. ADV is what you read to kind of uh, disclosures from the SEC. Uh, and let's see. They failed to adopt and implement written compliance policies and procedures reasonably designed to prevent violation of the Advisors Act. So they didn't implement any policies and procedures to make sure 
This doesn't happen. Okay. So an interesting story, at least on my end, I think it's interesting because I see so many people that are at these bigger investment shops that are being placed in mutual funds. And if you are being placed in mutual funds, there's a good chance that you are in funds that have too high a fees. You could have the same exact fund with a lower uh, fee, a different share class, usually uh, institutional class or investor class, usually something like that. Uh, usually like an R6 sometimes, that's the lowest. Uh, it just depends on the, the mutual fund, uh, which which uh, share class is, is better. Um, but this is, this is a very common practice. Now it's probably gonna go away eventually when the best interest uh, clause comes through, uh, but there's a lot of lobbyists to prevent that, okay? Uh, but I wanted to highlight that because I know there's a lot of you out there that are in that camp and I want to make you aware of uh, how the industry is structured currently, even though that is eventually probably going away. But who knows when? Now, on the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline, four practical steps to control your overspending habit. Now, for some, money represents freedom, opportunity, security, or peace of mind. But financial success requires that you tame an urge to splurge. And we'll get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, so get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. This is Eric calling from Los Angeles, longtime listener. Love the show. I have a general question. It's regarding the market and 401ks. I was wondering do you find that the market tends to bump up the day after paydays, which is every two weeks, people's contributions into their 401ks, and suddenly the market? goes up because there's this influx into all these different mutual funds. And as a second part of that, would that be a good time to sell if the market's going to have this 
minor blip up in those fees or, or I mean in those stock prices. Just curious how that works or if that even is a possibility. Thanks. Good question. And it is something to think about because there, that's where a lot of the fun flows are coming from. 401k, 403b accounts, uh, company-based retirement accounts. Uh, the issue, though, is that everyone kind of gets paid on different schedules. Not everybody gets paid uh, every two weeks. Sometimes it's the first and the 15th. Uh, and I know at KPP, we pay our employees every two weeks. Uh, but, you know, our two weeks might be different than another company's two weeks. And so, you know, and then the money might hit at different times. I know for, for us, you know, we might get paid on a Friday, but the money doesn't hit our 401k till I think Wednesday or Thursday of the following week. So they're, you know, and, and that's going to probably differ depending on, you know, when the money is, is issued, uh, what bank it's going through, who the, the fund provider is. So I don't think there's, a, there, I haven't seen any data to show that this consistent, consistently shows up in fund flows on a particular day of the week or the month or anything like that. Uh, because I think it's just so spread out and it hits people's accounts differently. You know, for me, uh, I'll give you uh, my 401k, I, I put it into money markets. Others have it automatically invested into certain funds. Um, you know, I can, then I take the money market and then I go uh, buy individual names, things like that. But um, yeah, it, it's just, it's a good question because that is under appreciated. It's just a consistent flow of capital into markets. Uh, but I have not seen a day uh, that will, or any study that shows a day uh, is when most of it shows up or anything like that. Thanks for the call. Now let's make it two in a row. The Invest Talk question came in earlier from Germany. Hello, Stephen Justin. This is Paulo from Germany. I'm a loyal listener to your show. Today I have a question about Cotera Energy, and I would like to have your opinion if it's a buy, hold, or sell at this price level. Because I'm already invested in Quotera and I actually want to increase my position because I actually think they are a little bit underperforming the sector and maybe it's a good time to, to buy in a little bit more. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, this is Quotera. It's an independent opera, uh, exploration and production company, mainly in the Appalachia and Permian basins. It's a combination between Cabot Oil and Gas, remember them, and Cimerex, Cimerex, I believe. And they had about $2.9 billion, or billion barrels of oil equivalent as of the end of last year, and 431 million barrels of oil equivalent per day, 70% of which is natural gas. So I like that it is more weighted towards the natural gas space, which um, uh, uh, I, I'm giving a thumbs up there. They have very minimal debt, trading at enterprise value to about 3.3, and that's cheap in, in my book. Now, if you look at earnings expectations, supposed to make $5 this year, $4.25 next year, but those estimates are going higher. So I'm gonna give Katera a thumbs up. Now you're probably also looking at that 8.9% 
dividend yield. Let me give you my sense of that. Current pay ratio is about 53%. Let me look at the last dividend amount. Yeah, so they've their dividend skyrocketed from 11 cents back in August of last year to 68 cents. So my sense of this is I would not expect that dividend to be sustained that high uh, just because they're probably not going to make quite this much money, but maybe they will. Um, my main point, though, is don't invest in this for the dividend. Invest in this because you want exposure to an oil and gas, a domestic oil and gas company whose production is weighted towards natural gas and that has low debt and is returning capital to shareholders. That's why you'd want to invest in this. So don't invest to it based on the dividend. Dividend's nice, dividend's great, dividend's fantastic. But like I've always said with dividend investing, it's not about just the dividend, it's about the business. How sustainable that business is, what type of debt do they have on their balance sheet, are, are, is management acting in the best interest of shareholders? And currently, I think they are, and I think this is a good place to be, but not because of the dividend. Thanks for the call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now let's talk a little bit about tech valuations. And finally, in the private market, you're starting to see a slow adjustment in prices closer to what you're seeing in the public markets. Now, private investments, uh, I have a couple. Uh, they are typically traded between employees, founders, some institutions sometimes, uh, early investors. And it's not easy. You have to go find a buyer. But they, they can be done. And many startups held pretty high valuations up until... The Nasdaq peaked in November of last year. But what you're starting to see, there was kind of a dearth in activity over the spring and summer, but you're starting to see activity pick up again, but at lower numbers. So about 30 to 40% off of those valuations in last year. Some of them off as much as 80%. Okay. ByteDance, for example, the company behind TikTok, they traded at a valuation of $450 million, billion, excuse me, last year, and now they're down to $220 billion to $260 billion. So call it roughly half from those levels. Frankly, probably still too expensive. Now, the firms that are getting hit the most are ones that were all about growth at all costs. They didn't really achieve a unique edge. Uh, they didn't create scale, they didn't create positive cash flow and profitability. And those are the ones that are getting hurt the most, just like they are in the public markets. Now, what's interesting here is that there are even mutual funds that are getting caught up in this. I don't know if you remember this, but fund families like T. Rowe Price and Fidelity, they were buying into the hype over the last couple of years as well. They had excess capital and they were chasing those returns. But even they're starting to mark down their valuations. T. Rowe Price, for example, has cut their valuation for Stripe in by more than half. Fidelity invested in Instacart 
And they've marked that down by 55% as of October. So it's not just those private investors, those wealthy investors, those institutions that were investing in that space, private equity firms. It's also the mutual fund companies, uh, unfortunately. So that's what you're you're seeing. And I think that's a, a sign of things to come, especially now that uh, trades are happening a bit more. Now we're about four and a half weeks remaining until New Year's. The clock is ticking and the market's changing and it's becoming more difficult. So you're probably seeing that. But the question is, just because it's more difficult doesn't mean that you can't be prepared. And are you prepared? Are you prepared to build your financial future? Are your strategies updated to reflect value over price, substance over hype, cash flow over financial engineering? Are you prepared? Well, if you want to find that out, you probably want to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. We, where we run free portfolio review assessments via telephone or go to meeting, where we break down portfolios. What weighting do you have in large cap versus small cap? Are you leading growth? Or are you leading value? What about your bond exposure? Do you have too much cash? Are you maybe exposed to too much long-term debt? Maybe you're exposed to too much treasuries. That's what we do. Break that down. How does that fit with risk tolerance levels, with goals? Everyone's different. I talk to people in their 20s. I talk to people in their 80s and everywhere in between. I talk to people who are pretty conservative all the way to those that are very aggressive and everywhere in between. And so everyone's portfolios are going to look a bit different, should look a bit different based on those factors, goals and risk tolerance levels. So I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve via investtalk.com, our new investtalk.com. I don't know if anyone's seen it. We just launched the site, a uh, new site over the weekend. Hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, you can also reach out to our office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. And the sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized. Now, next up, we will play another listener question, so hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin. I had a question on a company called Suncor, ticker is SU. I was looking at it. I just had a couple questions on it. I want to get your overall opinion on if you like the company. And then I wasn't able to determine if it's a limited partnership, if you could comment on whether it is. And if you did like it, what a good buy point would be. And I'll look for your answer on the show. As always, thank you guys. I appreciate all you do. Does not look like Suncor is an is a limited partnership. Now this is a Canadian company. It's a Canadian oil and gas company, integrated energy company. 
It has oil sands development, production, as well as offshore oil and gas, petroleum refining in Canada, as well as here in the U.S. And, you know, I like the space. You know that. You know I like oil and gas space. Uh, and I've uh, we've looked at some of the Canadian players. And this didn't make our top three. Uh, for various reasons, I, I can't remember exactly what they were. Uh, but the price just says it all. The Suncor is hanging around the 200-day moving average. Whereas the XLE, that's well above it. So it's drastically underperforming the other major oil companies. And even if you look at some of the top ones in Canada, it's underperforming those as well. So I like that you're looking at Canadian oil and gas producers. I like that they're relatively uh, insulated from uh, the geopolitical concerns in Europe. Their main customer is the US. Uh, I do wish they had more ability to export a lot of their products uh, abroad uh, beyond just here in the US. So I think that's one kind of drawback. The, the Canadian government hasn't really allowed them to develop that, that export uh, business too much. Um, but my main takeaway here is Suncor is good. It's a good company. It's fine. But if you look at the other energy producers out of Canada, they're doing much, much better from a profitability standpoint, a cash flow uh, perspective. And we own one for, once again, our cover call strategy. It's a smaller one. I'll give you the market cap on that one. That one is about $4 billion, whereas Suncor is $47 billion. So it's much smaller, but doing much, much better. Doesn't pay quite the dividend. Pays about a 1% dividend. But its relative strength is 97. Suncor's relative strength is 85. Good, but not great. There's too many in the space that are doing great. So keep looking. Look at all of the Canadian oil and gas companies. Find the ones that have better relative strength, better financial performance, and don't just focus on the, focus on the dividend. Remember that, okay? Don't get caught up in that 4.7% dividend on Suncor because if you invest in the other ones, lower dividend, but you've had much, much better year. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I have one goal here each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. Everyone's path is different. Everyone's journey is different. Hopefully we're a part of that journey consistently. Hopefully we're giving you little nuggets and lessons to take away to make better investment decisions. That's what each hour is designed to do. To answer your questions, teach you a lesson, the caller, as well as all the other listeners. And then the topics that I bring up, try to give you some perspective on different sectors, uh, different types of assets you can own and buy. What are the pros and the cons? Everything has upside and downside, and you need to be aware of that. And so we're heading to our final break. So if you have any questions regarding any of that, anything money-related, give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? 
Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Let's go talk to Bill. He's in Northern California looking at Schlumberger. Hey, Justin. Yeah, I, I own this from just a few dollars uh, south of what it is right now. And, and uh, you know, I'm looking at the long term chart, and it's like, you know, it just basically goes up and down. It hasn't seemed to have uh, appreciated long term that much. It just has cycles with the oil market. And I wonder if you could corroborate that. Would you? hold this the dividend's not too huge i was thinking about selling it as far as timing and uh your opinion on that well we do own schlumberger for clients and i will say we recently i'll say trimmed it we rebalanced it back to our original right because we're up on it it's up from nicely from the lows around uh see 12 bucks back in 2020 uh, but the recent lows were kind of around the, the low 30s. Now it's at 51. So I, I do think it's up into resistance. We still like the company, um, but it's now, instead of being undervalued, it's probably close to fairly valued. So uh, it's not cheap. It's not expensive. It's still a very good company. Very little debt, which we like that. It's enterprise value to EBITDA is 12.8. Uh, but if you look longer term... Uh, that's kind of around its its average, uh, or at least its median, as I say that. So we we like it, but here it's just a it's a decent uh, buy, uh, not a bargain like we like it was uh, earlier this year. So take that what you will. You know we trimmed it kind of around the fifty two I think uh, mark. Now it's at fifty one and change. So. Uh, I do think in time it'll go higher because it's a, it's a very well-run company. It's, uh, it's services are going to be more in demand, especially as uh, the price of oil goes higher. So I do think it goes higher in time, but in the near term, it's in a resistance. It's roughly fairly valued. So whatever decision you want to make with that, go for it. Thanks for the call, Bill. Now, lastly, let's touch a bit on the yield curve, the yield curve. And this is kind of one of those wonky things where short-term rates are yielding higher than longer-term rates on the treasury curve. And that's atypical. Typically, you have higher rates as you go out into the future. Now, what this is, is basically the market sending a signal that inflation is going to be under control over the next few years and that not only will the Fed pause, but the Fed will likely cut. And I would listen to this. The yield curve is now negative by 78 basis points. 78 basis points. That's the largest negative gap since the late 19 since late 1981. Okay. And now what's most more important is actually the the short, short term. Uh, the, the three month over the two year, everyone uses the two two year, not a great measure, but that still is negative. If you look at the, the, the three month and the 10 year and what's happening now is the Fed has been sucking out the excess liquidity that both fiscal and monetary authorities injected into the economy in 2000, 2001. 
sorry, 2020 and 2021. And that's all being reversed and then some. It's going to be uh, roughly balanced out by end of first quarter, that excess liquidity. Then it's kind of, now what? You know, do they continue with QT? Do they continue to raise rates? I don't think they will. You're going to continue, even if they pause, you're going to continue to see inflation slowly moderate over next year. We could get as low as 2% by the end of next year. I don't think it'll be that low, but I think sub four to say that. And a lot of this has to do with the growth of M2. M2, go look it up. It's uh, basically cash in, in bank accounts, money market accounts, etc. Money that can be spent into the economy. And then velocity in money, how quickly that money is turning over. And those two factors really drive inflation. And we had huge growth in M2. And we had government guaranteeing loans. So there were loans that were being, being made. And so velocity of money ticked up a little bit as well. And now you have inflation. So multiple factors went into this, but that's really what it comes down to. And that's why inflation is going to continue to moderate through 2023. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This includes another Invest Talk program, Steve Peasley, and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And we have now surpassed the 47.5 million download mark thanks to you. And be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. We love that feedback. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.